Welcome to What Crypto and Grill Did. <laughs> Crypto Dancers here, but most of you know me on Twitter as the Count of Monte Crypto. I'm joined today by a man who is rocketing up the influence and importance scale in the crypto space. He's got an army of followers, he's well traveled, he's got his own business, and he has a podcast where he's interviewed some of the top names in crypto. And he also has a solid tattoo collection and a very manly beard. It's Stig of the Pump. <laughs> How, are you? How, How are you, Stig? How are you, Stig? about my iHeart Mum tattoo? I've seen your tats. You, you show them; they're terrible. How are you, Stig? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I think we all. I think we've all done this too many times, where we all paused at the same time, waiting for a reaction. I am. I'm good. I'm in an interesting corner office, actually. I'm not usually my basement, so nice. Um, it's an interesting change of venue for me. So, Stig, I'm who, good. How are you? I'm great. Who have we got with us today, then? Oh, what? Um, what a man we have. We have none, none other than Peter from What Bitcoin Did. Welcome, Welcome Peter. Peter. Hi, guys. I feel very awkward with uh, the term influencer, but thank you for having me on. Great to meet you guys. No, look, thank you for coming on. The poacher turns gamekeeper. So, uh, no, it's great to be here. And um, we, uh, we're really glad you accepted our invite to come on. Um, what we, um, I'm not sure whether you're, you're familiar with our podcast, but what we're trying to do is is help people understand the space a bit more um, we're targeting it at people that are new to crypto new to bitcoin um and you know it'd be great to hear your story and your journey um and i think great for other people because um for ourselves when we first joined uh, it's it was just absolute chaos there's there's money to be made there's money to be lost there's scams um, you don't know whether it's real, whether it's magic internet money. So we're just trying to break it down um, bit by bit and take people along a journey and um, and help them uh, increase their, their knowledge base um, as they go along. So keen really to hear about uh, you and your journey because you've got a very interesting story. So um, for the people that don't know who Peter McCormack is, who are you? <laughs> God. Um, okay. It's, um, I've told it a couple of times, actually. It's just It's just a series of accidents but i guess that's what life is right life is just a series of things that happen and, and leads to other things but um gosh so uh back in 2016 end of 2016 um I, I, yeah, like i said i've explained this a few times my mum uh, sadly she was dying from cancer and we were trying to get her a treatment to support that uh, which you could only buy on the dark web and you need a Bitcoin for. And I was in Ireland at my parents and I just said, Deb, look, I can do this. So um, I hadn't looked at Bitcoin for a couple of years, really. I kind of kept a close eye on it, but um, I wasn't really like I was aware of what was happening with price, but I wasn't I didn't understand the tech or anything. Um, so I just did a Google search uh, for Bitcoin, found Coinbase, bought a Bitcoin. It was about, I can't remember, six or seven hundred dollars. 
which, which seemed really expensive at the time. Uh, bought this Bitcoin, bought the treatment. Um, sadly, mum passed away, and I was I was in Ireland for like a week or so, um, nothing to do because my dad lives in Donegal. Um, and I was just mucking around on the computer, and, and I went back onto Coinbase. And I know what I had to do is I had the leftover Bitcoin from the purchase, I transferred back to Coinbase. And when I was there, I saw this like Ethereum thing, didn't know anything about it, it's at nine, $9. Um, so, so I just, um, and I used to have this advertising agency in London, and I kind of went through a very, very bad, very rough divorce. And that company fell apart, so I didn't get to work for a year. So, like, pretty much everything had gone shit in about a year. Yeah. But I was like, I had some money left over from my agency, so I just said to my dad, look, I don't, I don't really want to go back to London commuting. Um, I'm going to buy some Bitcoin and Ethereum. It looks kind of interesting. So I put some money in, made an obscene amount of money, which I pretty much lost all of this year. Made like made made and lost life-changing money, genuinely. Um, there was a time, it was about December last year, I was like, wow. But stupidly didn't, you know, didn't take profits. I consider paper money as yeah, what it was. But the one lucky thing I did do is um, like this series of events. Like my friends were asking me how to get into Bitcoin, and rather than just tell them over and over again, I wrote this long email that I just used to forward to people. It was like what it is, why it matters, security, how you buy it, blah blah blah. And then I went out to see my friend in LA, and he was like, "Look, this is really cool. You could you should turn this into a, 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 a website." So I did and created a Facebook group and. And what I would do is just just essentially like blogging on Facebook, like every day the things I was doing, I was posting to Facebook to let my friends know, like I'm buying this and this is why. Uh, I've, gone, I've gone back actually, funny enough, I went back recently um, and I kind of went through it all and it's, it's all bullshit. It's just, it was all guessing at the time, but I thought I was smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then put it all, like just put it out there and I started to write and then my friend's got a podcaster. There's a guy called Rich Roll. He's like a really cool podcasting guy. And he was like, look, you should, uh, you should think about doing a podcast. And I was like, all right. So when I was in LA, I reached out to Luke Martin who was out there. I said, look, dude, I'm thinking of doing a, po- a podcast. Do you want to come on? And he said, yeah. So I ordered the equipment on Amazon, went around his house, recorded the first episode, which was just over a year ago now, November 24th. And and what's happened over the years, there's like this bit, the, the market's done done this, but the podcast has done this. Yeah. So just just at the point where I'm about to have lost all the money I made, I'm now getting a revenue from the podcast, so I can I can focus on that. It's um <laughs> it's evident you're still quite new, Peter, because uh, you're making hand motions that the listeners clearly can't see. So um yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> but um no, it's um so you're look you're um I was saying just before we started um one of the things that we did um early in uh, in our journey was try and outline the importance of education, um and um you know how important it is to read. Uh, as widely as possible do some digging about what bitcoin actually is um and the fundamentals and um yeah i'm ashamed to say that we actually missed you uh, off the list and um actually since then it's clear that you, you know the what bitcoin did podcast is one of the best in the space uh, personal opinion uh, not just um trying to butter up the guests here at all but um but i think is there what i wanted to understand from you is what's the overriding objective because setting up the podcast and and having um having lots of guests on is is Fun, it's cool it's interesting is there a theme behind it all or is there a, an end objective or is it are you taking it one step at a time and seeing how it develops uh yeah good question um well i guess there's two things right there is the harsh reality of life of needing an income 
you know, I need I needed income. And I'm also a single parent. My son lives with me full time. My daughter 50 50. Um, and being able to do school runs and be around for the kids whilst having a job means I can't now commute to London and work in advertising because you know you leave leave at seven in the morning, get back yeah. at seven at night. I can't do that. So I need a a job where I can uh, be around the around the house, be around for my children. So that's kind of objective one is to create a a job which supports me being a single parent. Um, and which I've managed to achieve, which is which is a blessing, because I honestly don't know what I would have done otherwise. Um, but then the goal with the podcast is, I mean, you know, I'm competitive. I I want to have one of the best podcasts out there. You know, that's that's not that's not a lie. But at the same time, I guess I have two things. I I I think I'm relatively thick in the space compared to some of the other people. Right? There's so many smart people. So I read something like Nick Carter would write and think, holy shit, I'm I'm really am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah, 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 you okay. are. I'm like, holy shit, I am really not that bright because I could not write this or could not think about writing this. And actually I don't even understand some parts of it. And then what that happens is I really you know love Bitcoin and kind of love cryptocurrency. And there's lots of questions I want to ask, which I feel like if I go on Reddit and ask, people are gonna be like, Well, you're a fucking idiot. So I just go I just go and interview people now and, and like I'll ask them the simple questions. I've always done that. So I interviewed Gabor Gabix from Van Eck last week, that's coming out on Friday. And I was like, look, what is an ETF, right? Like yeah. who buys an ETF? Like rather than just having all the assumed knowledge and then just get into the details of their application. Like I are like when I hit interviewed Hester Pass, it's like, well, who are the SEC and what is a commissioner? So I, th- I think I, what I probably want to be is almost that entry level, asking the simple questions. But also, if I'm really honest, I like the personal side of it as well. So my favorite interview was Lynn Albrick, uh, Ross Albrick's mum. That's um, my favorite. And in my Hester Peirce interview, my favorite bit was the last five minutes where we were talking about American football and Bucks. <laughs> I kind of, I really enjoy that side of it. Um, yep. I don't want to get too technical because it goes over my head. And I don't want to get into a big debate because... I usually like to take the time to formulate my opinions just because I need to do some research. Yeah. Like I'm that guy who's when he's tweeting, is looking at words thinking, I don't even know if I've spelt that correct. I better check it. <laughs> like, <laughs> just because I don't think I'm that right. Um, but maybe but I still get but I think, too much. I, but it's, uh, you know, as, a, as a, an outsider's perspective, um, it's, it's a quite a nice balance because, you know, also we count ourselves as newbies as well. You know, we've been in the space um, over 12 months, but we learn every day. And um, again, it's such an overwhelming space. I think you, you can feel you can feel silly and you know stupid asking those simple questions, but you you really shouldn't do because you know like you've said a number of times, not everybody comes from an economics background. Not everybody is a software developer, right, and it's no easy. Exactly. And it's easy to assume that all of these skill sets exist and everybody has them um, all in abundance on in, in every sector. But actually what you start to realize is, no, there's the specialists in, in each one of those areas and they'll dip into um, economic theory here and there that they've drawn upon other people. But by and large, it's um, for me, crypto is just um, a coming together of some of the brightest minds and some of the most complex um, things. And if you're in the middle of it, trying to digest it all without even a starting point, it's, it is just overwhelming. So asking those basic, simple questions to to get started really does help. Um, and it's one of, it's one of the re- things that people say is why Satoshi is likely to be a group of people is because it brings it together three really different, distinct capabilities, which you rarely ever see in an individual. 
I think I think it may have been someone on one of your podcasts that said that. And I was like, actually, that's such a good way of looking at it because very rarely can you get a cryptographer who is aligned with an economist or a technologist who's aligned with an economist in the way that clearly the people who build the basis for this space are. Yeah, I, I still think it's one person now. Yeah. Do you? So yeah, so we um so we 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 have this little thing every episode that we we like to do um and ask our guests whether they are Satoshi and judge either by their response or by their by their reaction whether they're telling the truth or not. So Peter, you seem to know quite a lot about this uh, this topic. Are you Satoshi? <laughs> no, absolutely no fucking chance. I got I look. I read the white paper and there's things I don't even know what its sections are about, let alone trying to comprehend <laughs> what they're explaining. It's like like um i go into some of these blogs i'm like there's no point reading the, the blog post because i don't know what the post is about i don't even so no I, I sadly i'm not and if i was i would definitely bathe in the glory of it and i would definitely spend the money um, yeah. i'm i'm the worst person to be satoshi i, I would spend the money i have a big house fast cars and you know i'd do some nice things but like yeah. I I'm not of the right character. I what's think. your What's your theory it, then? Who do you Who do you think well, it is, or what's the? So hang on, before so before that, so will you join us on our search to find Satoshi? <laughs> no, I, I think I think Satoshi needs to stay Hidden. anonymous. Um, I think that's something he's respecting. I would never uh, share who I think it is. Um, I like I've narrowed it down to like three people I think it is, and I've got one. I'm, I I think it could be, but also at the same time, even. Even trying to figure it out, I'm like, why am I doing this? They don't want to be yeah. found. They've delivered this gift to the world. Let's leave them alone. I agree. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, you're going to ask a question. No, it opens up an interesting debate as well because I, I, I think to an extent it doesn't matter. Um, you, know, it, you know, we are where we are. The the technology exists. The concept exists. And I also think, personally, this is my personal view here, that. Um, that the white paper doesn't matter anymore. You know, the vision set out what it was uh, supposed to be, digital cash. Yeah, it was a great idea, a great concept. And whoever Satoshi um, was is probably couldn't have forecast that we are going to be, we were going to be where we are now um, with some of the you know advancements and challenges as well. So I think, like you said, it's a gift to the world. We've got it. Um, let's make sure that we uh, respect it and do the right thing with it. Um, and I think being... Uh, being tied down by this notion of it being digital cash. And I know in, it's, it's a really good interview that you did with uh, Roger Ver. He always comes back to this notion. It's about the white paper. It's about digital cash. And I think it's too easy to get um, get caught up on that, um, mm-hmm. my personal view. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I completely agree. And, and listen, look, the other thing about it, you know, if you ever found out Satoshi, who Satoshi is, it might be a huge disappointment. Like yeah. just say it, just say it was Craig Wright, which it isn't, but just say it was, but it definitely isn't, right? Um, you'd be like, oh great, he, like Satoshi's a, a, a dick, and it would be a real disappointment, um, and that would be such a shame. So I think, what? I think, I think it's like it's like it's like as you get older, you realise your 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 dad is a real human. Like when you're like a three year old, they're the, they're a hero. And as you get older and older, you realise like they're just a human with flaws themselves. Like Satoshi will have flaws, and it would just it would be a disappointment. And we don't need it, so let's leave them as this. That's a, that, hero. that flaw thing is actually one of the reasons why I think this could potentially be my friend Ed, Edmund over here on the other side of the screen. A bit of a dick, has some flaws. <laughs> uh, we never asked you the question actually, Edmund. Are you Satoshi? 
I think I might be, but I'm definitely, other people would say I'm definitely not. Um, I'd like to be. I'm probably more aligned with Craig Wright. I'd like to claim that I made it, um, but I'm not. Um, but yeah, no, look, um, thank you for that, Peter. Um, so one thing we wanted to talk to you about is just your uh, your um, mental development, I guess, uh, through this uh, through the two years you've been in. How has your thinking changed? So since joining the space, you found out about Bitcoin and it was uh, something that you could buy stuff off the dark web, etc. with. What do you think today? You know, having interviewed all of these people, you must have ingested and digested so much knowledge. And, you know, now that you're full time, um, has there been a, a progression of, of, of what you see crypto Bitcoin as um, during that time? And is it something that you think everyone should a journey that you think everyone should go on? Um, well, no, every, look, everyone should go on their own journey. I, would, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't tell anyone what they should do. Just in terms of me, I guess there's two two ways of looking at it. I was, I was explaining this to somebody else the other day. One of the difficult things is having such a wide range of guests and trying to give every guest and in every interview the certain, like doing a good job and research well, you're expo- exposed to so many different views and opinions. And also when I try and do each interview, I try and see what I agree with them on, also what I disagree with them on. So I have quite a kind of jumbled set of, like, set of, uh, like a jumbled knowledge of, like, like it's just a big mess of things that, like, go around in my head where I'm, like, it's, trying to form my own opinion sometimes is therefore very hard. Whereas if you kind of, like, for example, like, Roger Ver's taking a position that Bitcoin Cash is a real Bitcoin. Even if he secretly doesn't believe anymore, even if he's secretly thinking, ah, oh, shit, I fucked up here. He's never going to change. Plus, he's gone so far down that route, he's only researched that route, right? Or if you are Ethereum, you've gone so far down with Ethereum, that's all you are, right? Whereas I'm kind of doing everything, so I kind of have this kind of mixed view. Um, and the way I was explaining it the other day is, you know, being exposed to libertarianism, right? Taxes theft is a whole new concept. You know, I would have considered myself a bit of a socialist before, thinking, you know, tax is good, we should give money to the poor, and we should help each other out, and the NHS is great. But actually... Now, you, if you test it up to a libertarian, they're like, oh, you're having, someone's going into your pocket and taking something from you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, crap. Right, so socialism's evil. But I kind of like the NHS, so I kind of just get in this really confused position where I'm like, I think I know what I think, but there's these very convincing arguments that I'm, in, I'm, I'm wrong. So in terms of crypto, though, what has become is my thoughts have become more refined. I have a huge sympathy for Bitcoin maximalism, like a huge sympathy for it. I think some maximalists could try and try and put their views across in a different way. I don't think it's. I don't think they fully empathise with somebody new coming into the space doesn't have all the retained knowledge they have. But I, I'm a huge sympathy. I have a huge amount of sympathy for Bitcoin maximalism. But I'm not a maximalist myself because I I like the thought of experiments. And look, if they're all wrong, if they're all going to shit, then so be it. But at least we tried. And by the way. All these other cryptocurrencies, all kinds, outside of being scammed, they have had a net benefit for Bitcoin. Right? Yeah. The crypto industry of 1,500 coins and tokens and projects and people and podcasts and all this stuff has a net benefit for Bitcoin. There's absolutely no doubt. It hasn't taken anything away from Bitcoin. Yeah. But I have a huge amount of sympathy for Bitcoin. I understand why a blockchain really is just like so unimportant in the grand scheme of things because it's just one part of what bitcoin is i understand why immutable money is important i also understand now why a blockchain is actually no use for the majority of other applications that sit out there 
So if, if I had to hang my hat on anything, I would tell you I'm like 80% Bitcoin. I'm really interested in Monero because Bitcoin doesn't have fungibility and full privacy yet. I'm very interested in Grin, which is a new thing that's yeah. being worked on. I have a very mild interest in aspects of Ethereum because there's certainly things that Ethereum can do. For example, stable coins, right? Bitcoin maximalists will hate stable coins. But I was with Zach Prince from BlockFi. And he was explaining to me, look, if you're in, uh, there's a huge market for borrowing dollars around the world. And if you're in Argentina, you want to borrow dollars. There's no point trying to sell you Bitcoin. Bitcoin is too volatile. It isn't useful for you at the moment, but you might want to borrow dollars. Getting dollars to you is a is really difficult in Argentina because you've got a, an account which is denominated in the peso. So what they can do is you can borrow, you can do a USD loan from BlockFi. They can transfer it to your wallet using a stable like GUSD, and you therefore have the ability to borrow money. Now I don't care what anyone else says as a temporary solution for people in Argentina. I think that's great. I have some interest in um, securitized assets and token securitization, but I'm waiting to see how that plays out. So I would say the journey has taken me into everything and back almost full circle to think mm, Bitcoin is, is the most important thing here on so many levels, but there are some kind of other things that might be interesting. It's, it's interesting that you summarize it that way because I think I'm starting definitely in my head to start get to that full circle where you started out and the thing that people say very, very quickly is that you have, but you'll end up with very few stores of value, very few payment types, and then everything else is a utility and most of the utilities are going to be worthless. Um, and you hear that and you disagree with that immediately and you think actually no, you can apply this to everything and it's going to be amazing. You're going to get this ridiculously like utilized world for all of this. And then you dig into it more and more and more and you actually get bound back around to the fact that it's actually there are very few things that will anchor this space actually going forward. The technology may be prevalent elsewhere, but the, the actual asset base itself uh, is probably going to be quite restricted. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'd agree. And I, I, I think I, I differ slightly. Um, I think um, the majority of people you speak to, you start off with Bitcoin and Bitcoin is everything. And then, oh my God, there's this whole world of shit coins and, and blockchain projects that I need to know about. I need, need exposure to every single one. Then you realize that uh, they're promising a lot. Majority of them are vaporware. Some of them probably have some amazing premise, but yeah, Bitcoin is the one. So you, you kind of uh, you do that full circle and you end up back at Bitcoin. Um, I'm still uh, I'm still heavily exposed to um, certain altcoins. So uh, as long as they do um, 500x, then I can uh, exit and get back into Bitcoin 100%. That's fine. Uh, so don't kill my dream just yet, Peter. But um, you know, I would describe myself personally as a um, as a crypto maximalist. You know, I think some of the innovation and the thinking that's coming out. I think, yep, you're absolutely right. Bitcoin underpins it all. But I think all of these, the fusion of all of these futuristic, um, you know, artificial intelligence models, smart contracts. Um, there's a film I watched recently, Ready Player One, which um, for me is just a crypto film. You know, it's just uh, it's the future of, of gaming and of um, the way that the world's going to pan out in about sort of 10, 15 years um, or a, a glimmer of it. Um, and, you know, if you think about the technology that could underpin all of those things, immutable swords, immutable digital assets transferring from one game into another, that you know, crypto is going to be the thing, the vehicle that delivers that, in my view. I agree with you on gaming. I definitely agree with you on gaming. I, and I didn't, I didn't get it at first. I was like, why do you need a blockchain for an asset? But 
I um, when I was out in LA, I was met the CEO of Wax, and he was. Um, I talked about this before. He was um, he was saying how somebody bought a, a gun, an in-game gun, and it was thirty-seven thousand dollars. And joking. I was like, You're no, I was like, what? Did, did you just say thirty-seven thousand dollars for a gun? He was like, yeah, it was a limited edition gun. <laughs> well, that makes it okay like, then. <laughs> I was like, what? So, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let's back up a second. Somebody spent $37,000 to have this gun. And he's like, yeah, well, it's a limited edition gun. You know, everyone's going to see it. You've got, like, massive in-game credibility. But he said, look, listen, listen to it like this. He said, you know, what's your hobby? Like, what do you like doing? Do you like playing golf? I'm like, yes, I care. So my dad does. Me. He's like, well, just imagine you're a golf nut, right? You're going to spend a lot of money on golf clubs. And he said, you're going to pay to play at the clubs. You're going to spend a lot of money on that. It's going to be proportional to what you earn. But if you can afford it, you're going to pay at the best courses in the world. You know, this person can afford it, and this is their golf. Their yeah. golf is they're getting into sitting down in this game, playing this game. That is their, I don't know, gold-plated, Tiger Woods, tightest driver, whatever it is. And I was like, okay, I get it. And he was like, you've got to, you've got to think where this stuff's going. Oh, maybe this was something else. But they were like, you know, this Ready Player One stuff is real. There's going to come a time... Like, we used to kind of, I guess you guys are maybe similar age, maybe a bit younger, I don't know, I'm 40, how old are you guys? 33. You're a bit 12. younger. 18. No, you're, you're not, come on. 32, <laughs> 33, but it's been, it's been, it's been a pretty miserable time, always, yeah. Yeah, 32, 32. I can't remember which one I am, 32 or 33. You must have been married for a long while, though, then. <laughs> so, so, I'm about to get married. <laughs> you're probably still the same, right? You know, when you were a kid, when you watch TV, you watch stuff that was on at a specific time and you knew it, right? Yeah. Right. Whereas my kids don't even watch TV. They watch YouTube, right? Their kids might come home, put on a headset, and just go into this different world, right? It's just huge Ready Player One world or whatever, like SimCity, Future City world. And it might be a case that, like, like my kids, like, my son has this thing on his phone, like House Party or something, where four or five of them will all be chatting, right? It makes much more sense. If they can go into a 3D environment, they're all sat in a room together, yeah. get that. They might be all come around my house. And like, my son might go, do you know what? I want to get some like cool poster on my wall. Oh, that's a dollar. And he might buy that poster. And there might be some like dude who lives in Chelsea who's like super rich and he's like, I want that $100,000 mansion on that decentralized. But he has to, you know, you've got to be able to prove that is a single ownership item. So yep. I totally buy that scenario. I totally see that future coming. Um, I used I don't to see that built on Bitcoin. I still see that built on something independent. I used to geek out on Magic the Gathering, and I completely, un- as soon as someone said blockchain in, uh, um, in crypto, I was like, I completely get it. I completely get it for gaming because you never really knew whether the thing that you got or you bought was actually the thing that you, that wasn't a fake. You never knew. Right. Right, it's funny you should say that. That's the second time I've heard this in a week, and I wasn't aware of it before. When I uh, interviewed Nathaniel Whitmore, he was like, uh, he's like, like, he used to play it as a kid. Like, he's played it for like, isn't it like a 20 year old game or something? Yeah. Yeah, mad. Yeah. But no, I, yeah, I buy the game, I think. Nice. Um, are you, are you going to tell your Mark Gox story now as well? No, the fact that I know, I know it's, it's not really a story, it's just um, good knowledge that I have that Mount Gox is uh, a short for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. But I just, uh, I think, did you, did you, you, you must have known that, Peter. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so, that. So, so every day is a school day. Okay, fine. I'll tell the little story of, for 30 <laughs> seconds. So, the way, I think it's on one of those um, 
uh, one of the Netflix documentaries uh, about Bitcoin in the background. Uh, and Mark Coppell has actually bought the Mt. Gox domain um, because Mark Coppellis was a, a big Magic the Gathering uh, fan, apparently. Um, and he bought this Mt. Gox domain from a guy that set it up in New Zealand, I believe, um, originally as a um, as a trading card website. And it, from there, changed it into, uh, into Bitcoin trading. And then, um, yeah took it into the dark web which is a lovely segue into um <laughs> railroaded and uh and lynn yeah. Obrecht. so um yeah. uh, we were just uh, interested in your angle on that because you um i think you know tackled a big topic here um in the history of bitcoin and again anyone that's new to the space you really just need to go back to the start read the white paper and follow the journey and part of that journey is the mark Carpellis case the um the mount gox incident and the role that ross Ulbricht had in that um and the the rise of uh, silk road and yeah. uh, rise and, and shut and the closure of silk road as well and the, the whole case surrounding it so um you quite bravely and um uh, nobly tackle that issue in your podcast you you, you interview lynn uh, ross's mum and uh, and railroaded um is a, is a six-part series i think as in your podcast that you've let them come on and talk about so keen to understand your interest in it and um and the publicity that you're uh, keen to make and what your objectives on that front are well, it's a couple of things. So um, the first time I discovered Bitcoin was in 2013 when I heard about the Silk Road. Like, I was like, what, what do you mean? There's a there's a website like Amazon and you can buy drugs. So it's like, that sounds crazy. So I read about it. I think I read about it on Gawker. I was like, this is unreal. And it was only then, like, a few years later when my mum got sick that I, you know, we wanted to buy a treatment that is illegal in this country, right? The law says you cannot buy cannabis oil to treat yourself because it's an illegal drug, which is, let's be honest, it's fucking ludicrous. It's a plant-based medicine. Um, so, I mean, obviously when your mum's dying, you don't give a, you know, you're a crap about the law. Yeah. We bought it, we bought it, we didn't care, we bought it there. That was only able to happen because of the work by Russell Road. The Silk Road challenged state laws around these things. And so that's kind of important to me. And I find the story fascinating anyway. And I would have always liked to have interviewed Ross. As that's not possible right now, I reached out to Lynn early in the year. I think it was March. flew out to Austin, met her. thought she was wonderful, actually. Had a really great interview with her. Uh, interviewed her again and followed the story. And, um, and then they had this documentary coming out. And they said, like, six-part. And they said, look, we're looking ways to increase the reach. And I said, well, look, you can release it on my podcast. They put it on YouTube. I said, just put it on it. I've got no problem. It'll get you a new audience. I'm happy with that. So, yes, I, I did that with her. And I was out in Vegas a few weeks ago. I met up with Lynn at this conference. And uh, I haven't actually told anyone this, but um, I, got a, I got a letter from Ross, which was, you know, quite touching, really. Amazing. Yeah, hammers a letter from Ross. Just, wow. Yeah, Thank you, me. Um, so, yes, it's important to me. I don't, you know. Under the eyes of the law, he committed a crime. Yes, there's a certain amount of punishment, but um, I was trying to think who said it. I think it might have been, maybe it would have been Novogratz who said that, like, no good is being served to the world by keeping him in prison. It's just such a pointless exercise. I mean, he created a website where people could freely trade, buy things to put in their body. And actually, if you speak to the Drug Policy Alliance, they're saying, he actually made the environment safer. It was you know, harm reduction. There yeah, was increased quality. Yeah, I mean, so they had the rating system, right? So, yeah, the, you know, the problem with drugs is dealers are greedy and 
usually scumbags and will cut your drugs with anything. On here, if your drugs were cut, you got a bad review. So the dealers just made sure it was good stuff. And then they had forums explaining to you how to take drugs, how to safely take drugs. Now, whilst people bought drugs on the Silk Road and died, which is sad and I think it's awful, those people were going to take drugs anyway, Regardless, most likely. Yeah. Regardless. And there's every chance that people, the Silk Road saved lives because it educated people how to take drugs. And on top of that, it made the environment, like drug prohibition is just the most bullshit thing in the world. If people want to take drugs, they're going to, I used to work in advertising. Nobody cares that drugs are illegal. Okay. Every party you go to, people are doing drugs. So nobody cares. So it doesn't work. Mm. So we're still, despite it not working, we have people hanging out on corners, buying drugs in dangerous environments, in dangerous situations. We've got criminal gangs yeah, making money from this. Whereas if you just, if you, if you can buy it online, you take the violence out of the industry at that bit. Like I'm not naive enough to say, the step from the cocaine from Mexico to the end dealer isn't paved with blood and battles and fights. All I'm saying is, is that certain aspects of this improved a system which is completely failing. And I think it's good that we stand up for this. I think it's good that, that we, we fight for this. And I think it's, I think everything Ross did there was great. So, yes. Yeah. And if, uh, if anybody that's listening hasn't listened to it yet, yeah, do check it out on Peter's um, yes. website and um, the whole railroaded series and your, your interviews with Lynn, um, they're, they're, uh, they're really fascinating um, listening and actually gives a lot more depth than what you typically tend to see and read in the press uh, in short headlines about it. Or the, or that you get in other podcasts as well. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a question with, I had a set series of questions around your interviews actually is that we need wanted to ask. And actually I feel like the answer to the question is all going to be set in the, those set of interviews because we wanted to know what your best interview was, what your hardest interview and what your most inter- interesting interview was. And I expect actually from various different reasons, those ones are probably covering all three of them. No, 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 definitely not. Um, like it's, it's a, it's, I get asked this a lot. So my favourite interview is my first one with Lynn because actually it felt like it was something very important. And we didn't really talk about Bitcoin, right? I think it came up once. That that was um, that was my favourite just on a personal level. But I do have a couple of other favourites, like Hester Peirce. You know, a, a year ago I was unemployed, and, a year, and then a year later I find myself at the SEC interviewing right. Hester Peirce. I mean, it's, it's just nuts. it yeah. is just nuts. I mean, just just. You know, there was that moment I was just sat there going, "Whoa, this is, this is amazing!" Like, I just can't believe it's happened. And you did and it in, the, also, in a Metallica T-shirt, no less. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of respect on social media for that. Well, you know what? I, I haven't worn a suit since I got married. Really, I think at another wedding. I, just, I don't wear a suit. <laughs> I mean, I dress like that all the time. But a couple of people on Twitter got the nod. It was more of a nod. To, uh, it was. It's the one Bobby Axelrod wears in. I can't remember what's this show called. Billions. Um, yeah, billions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, you know, I, I, I saw that episode and I was like, oh yeah, I want a Master of Puppets t-shirt. So I bought it. And when <laughs> I was going to the interview, I was like, you know, I'm going to wear, I'm going to wear my Master of Puppets t-shirt. There was no like hidden agenda. I was just like, yeah. So it was a bit of fun. Um, but I also have some other personal faves. Like my interview with Nick Carter um, is really good because I think he's so good. Um, and I also, I really enjoyed my Roger Vera interview despite getting so much shit and people threatening me and all kinds of over-the-top reactions. Um, I really enjoyed doing that, and I would say that was probably my most challenging, my most challenging interview as well. Okay. Um, you know, well, there was a lot well, of, because of everything that came with it, or just the interview itself. 
Yeah, you know, because I've interviewed Craig right beforehand, and then I announced I was interviewing Roger Ver, and I got a lot of people going, why are you giving a scammer a platform? And, you know, and, you know, then I got Dan Dark, he'll block me on Twitter saying I'm a scammer or some nonsense, and then Medium Squeeze, but, and, you know, all these hardcore Bitcoin maximists just, like, hating on me. And look, I get it. They, they stand up and support Bitcoin, I get it. But I genuinely, at the time, didn't understand the scaling war, and I was like, you know, these small blocks seem like, right, okay, but this argument for big blocks, this seems kind of right as well. And, you know, and, and I don't come with the history and the knowledge. And this Roger Veer seemed to do, have done a lot for Bitcoin. So I'm like, okay, cool, I'm going to go and meet him. I'm going to find out for myself and ask the questions I want. But I got all this, like, bullshit on fucking Twitter like, and threats. Like, you've got a threat of violence, which is just wow. like, That's unnecessary. get in the room. Yeah, like... Get in the real world, you know. And it's a good I, interview, I, to be fair, as well. You don't let him off lightly. You know, you, you kind of push him quite a lot and, and um, you really look for the uh, the nub of his argument and try and also get behind that. It's like, OK, look, yes, fine. I understand that you believe Bitcoin Cash is X, Y and Z, but who are you? What do you stand for? And, and what, yeah, are your, anyway. what do you want to achieve? And it, it was, um, you know, it, it was quite it's quite interesting hearing the autopilot um kick in with roger because he's like as you say in the interview i think he's he's just exposed to so much um hate or anger and um you know vitriol on online and in other interviews that it took a while for him to kind of trust you in a way and then understand okay actually i can give him more of a more of an honest view of who i am and um i think yeah, you did get there, but he was quite, he's very guarded and um, uh, yeah. got a very straight response to questions. So, yeah. Well, I had a good half an hour with him after the interview. And it's a shame people don't see that side to him because you know what? If you could just put the Bitcoin thing to one side, just forget about that. Like, he was all right. I liked him. Yeah. I did. I know people want, want me to say how he did, but he wasn't. He was really hospitable. We had this great half an hour afterwards. We were talking about Ross Albrecht and various other things. He was completely different from the guy you see on camera, very defensive with his kind of almost like robotic PR answers. And actually, yeah, I liked him and I'm glad I did it. And, you know, it was no small effort. It cost me, I think that interview cost me £4,000 to do in terms of flights, accommodation. You know, nobody was advertising back then. That was my investment. So for, when people are having a go at me for doing this, it's just like, well, look, it's my fucking money. And if you don't want to listen, don't listen. I'm not giving them a platform. What I'm doing is doing an interview. Like I, like, I really resent this term, giving someone a platform. It's not. It's an interview. I'm going to do an interview. Like, Louis Theroux interviews prisoners and rapists and pedos. And, you know, it's just an interview. Yeah. If he's wrong, fine. If he's right, fine. Just let's, It's just an interview. Speaking yeah. of people being wrong, um, there's, uh, I can't help but notice there's a framed photo of Ian Bellina behind you. Um, <laughs> is there a backstory there? Or is, is that just uh, that's just what you like waking up to in the morning? Well, I used to troll him just for a laugh. I used to troll him. <laughs> Everything he put, I just trolled him. And uh, nothing serious. He ended, he ended up blocking me. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, so is that how you, how you stay close to him? <laughs> yeah, you know, now, 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 I can't, um, now I can't talk to him on Twitter. I just keep him there. So, yeah. no, no, just, I don't know. I think I had an interview one day and I thought I'd put it up there to see if anyone noticed. And I think it wasn't until my third interview somebody noticed. And I've left <laughs> it there. I think on my eBay at one day. I, I, look, I looked at it and I was like, is that Joe Malone scent sticks next to Ian Bellino with a mini bottle of gin underneath it? <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Yeah, it is. Strong <laughs> Um, 
That's awesome. And so we, I think I'm just con- looking at the clock a little bit and conscious that we need to wrap up. Um, one of the things that we'd like to ask our guests is uh, this bear market has been horrendous um, and you need to stay well fed in a bear market and sort of stay focused. And so if you were having people around your house and Bitcoin maximalists, Ian Bellina, Roger Bear potentially, what would you stick on the grill? So we're crypto and grill. So what, what would you grill? Oh, wow. Do you know what? So I was, I've at various times in my life been a vegetarian and also a vegan. Um, I did veganism with my mum. I did a year of veganism, stay vegetarian. And then when I went out to do uh, um, Jameson Lock, he took me to a barbecue. And I was like, I'm in North Carolina, a barbecue place. There is no way I'm going to turn around and go, have you got any <laughs> fried aubergine, please? Have you got any halloumi? Yeah, so I just, I, just, I just went with it and I ate. And I've kind of, kind of come back to it being a meat eater. Um, I will go back to vegetarian. I'd like I prefer the lifestyle, but um, I'm just kind of off off the yeah. Sometimes I do this. So if I was going to grill something, I would definitely grill a nice big, fat juicy ribeye, and I would have some prawns with it as well. And I would probably have some massive crab's legs on the side. I'm a big Surf crab fan. Oh, nice. And if I turned up and I was uh, vegan and veggies with you as well, what would you what would you vegan and veggie for us? Uh, uh, do you know what the the two best things I've ever made are, and that I stuck with is you can do a you might have heard of this jackfruit. Um, yeah. Yep. That is utterly fantastic. If you make the if you cook the jackfruit in the right way and you do a good barbecue sauce, it is just like a pulled pulled pork kind of Ooh. burger. It is fantastic. But I've been to places, fast food places that like vegan places that do it, and they don't do it just right, and it's just like. Mm. But if you get that right. That's utterly fantastic. And there was another dish I used to do, what I used to, like a proper vegan dish, which was, um, I used to do a beetroot ravioli with like a vegan cheese sauce and a vegan cheese pesto. And that was that was like really nice. Anyone I made that, I was like, yeah, that's, I could eat that. They're the two things. Nice. Uh, I'm hungry now. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, I'm, in, I'm hungry. it's interesting you talk about um, being a vegetarian. Did you, um, I don't, you, you may not have seen the news earlier. Did you know there's been a global ban on vegetarians using Bitcoin? <laughs> they can't provide proof of stake? Oh, God. <laughs> have you got children? Boom, boom. Yeah, that's a classic dad joke, right? Okay. That's a proper dad joke. <laughs> But you I, keep uh, that I say this every episode he does something like that and I'm like I am trying to replace him <laughs> maybe we can merge what Bitcoin did crypto and grill and take over the world without him <laughs> that's my gift to you um, so look uh, with one eye on time just before we finish um, one thing that I wanted to say actually just before we ask you what's next for you uh, and uh, and what Bitcoin did I think one of my favourite episodes actually is the, the one where you interview the I forget the guy's name actually the chap from Venezuela um, because oh, that's uh, Andrew- Alejandro Mercado. That's mm. it, yes, because that is a fantastic insight into why Bitcoin is an important innovation and what it means to people that um, live in countries that don't have stable governments and stable currencies. And um, I think that's that's one that really drives home the use case for it um, and the, the kind of almost the, the life-saving um, technology that it is. So, um yeah, yeah so that it. it's interesting you should say that. So I interviewed him in London uh, the day before I flew out to Japan to inter- interview Roger Veer, and I was like, right. So that, like for two days I was learning about the history of South America and socialism and why it's failed and what's happening in uh, uh, Venezuela, and then I'm going out to interview Roger to learn about 
why blocks matter and what's important about block size, but also like I was researching things like how do you interview a politician and things like that. And like there was, you're constantly moving from one thing to the other. And it was a real kind of moment of like, fuck, this is hard. Like this is genuinely like a, a challenge. Interestingly about Alejandro, that was one of my favorite ones. He's one of my favorite people in the world. I absolutely adore the guy. Uh, he's, uh, I'm interviewing him again tomorrow with another guest. Oh, amazing. Uh, when, when does this go out? Um, probably by Monday at the latest. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll have announced it tomorrow. So I'm interviewing him with Alex uh, Glustein from the Human Rights Foundation. So that should be wow. a super interesting episode as well. Oh, so I'm looking forward to that. Fantastic. Yeah, I love that one. So again, anyone that hasn't listened to that, go back and give it a listen. And it really sort of pushes home that um, the, the importance of Bitcoin. Um, so just to wrap up then, what's uh, what's next for you, uh, Peter, and, and the podcast? Uh, are you going to be uh, keynote speaking, authoring a book, or um, or, or sort of uh, sailing off into the sunset? What's uh, What does the next six, 12 months have in store for you? Uh, well, you know, just got to try and keep my A game with in terms of the quality of the podcast and the guests you know you could easily lose people if you lose sight of that so that's something i'm, I'm very conscious of i do want to launch another podcast which is non-bitcoin and i've done four interviews but i'm just trying to find the time for that because uh, i you know uh, i just talking about bitcoin all the time can you know is a bit much like i want to expand my knowledge um, i'm working on a couple of specials like so location specials where i'll go to a i'm not going to tell you what it is but like a specific place research what's going on in crypto and bitcoin there and do like a batch of interviews that would do me like a week special and actually it's funny you should say that so i kind of been working on a book i've got a structure together for a book nice um i'm i've kind of worked on a first chapter uh which i'm going to share with a couple of people and say look just be honest i don't don't need to lie to me is this good and worth pursuing or is this bollocks if they're like it's bollocks i won't care about if they're like it's good then i might try and find a publisher and do the book but um but yeah, just my main focus is just keep the podcast going. I've got good regular advertisers now. I've got an income from it. I can't like I'm uh, a little bit overwhelmed by it because it's you know it's it's been a lot of work. I mean, I, like if I try to, so I probably spend seventy hours a week working on the podcast. One seven so, or seven zero. Seven zero. Seven zero. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So like each like I don't, that's why I don't think some sometimes people don't maybe realize so like each interview is can be anything from like if i'm lucky i can scrape my plan together in four hours but like roger veer was 24 hours of preparation like yeah. three eight hour days read restructure restructure then you do the interview which itself is you know intense sometimes then i'm engineering it then i'm getting it live and then i'm marketing it and then i'm updating my website you know it's it's a lot of work. And when, and when you're trying to churn out one a week, then it becomes two, two a week. Two a week. Yeah, I do two a week. So, so you know, to get to that point where I've now got advertisers and revenue, like I'm not afraid to say I've really worked for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've really put the hours in, um, and I don't want to. I don't want to risk that by, you know, being distracted by other things. So my main focus is, you know, focus on the podcast, I'm sure I can keep that going and provide for my children. And then, like, if I can supplement that with some, like, the, so my ideal goal is the, the podcast makes enough money so I can take on someone to assist me. So that's 70 hours a week. I can pass 30 hours of it to somebody else and then kind of maybe do some more interesting things. I can't see me being a, a conference speaker because I don't come with a particular skill or knowledge. Like, I'm not like safety in the moose with, like, economics. And I'm not Peter Todd with technology i just think i may be quite good at asking questions and you know producing 
uh, a podcast, but I don't think I would make for a very good. Uh, I don't think I'd make for a very good conference speaker. <laughs> well, I, you're clearly an amazing guy and one of the more one of the more genuine people that we've definitely spoken to. So oh, thank you. Uh, we we only wish you all the best in the future. I think it's an immense thing that you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. And you guys too. Look, you're doing it. You know what it's like. Um, and, and also, keep, you, are you guys in you in, in the city? Yep, yep. West London. All right. Well, well keep an eye out because I'm going to try and organise a meetup soon and we should just all have a beer. And- Excellent. That'd be that great. would be awesome. New Year would be fantastic. Have some of your beetroot ravioli. <laughs> yeah, no, none keep of that. that. <laughs> Excellent. We'll, we'll go to tomorrow and have a sleep. <laughs> well, look, Peter, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, look forward to uh, to the next set of episodes from you. Yeah, really, thanks, All guys. the best. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance.